You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Norway calls out the GRU for espionage against the storting. The SVR probably hacks FireEye. Huawei tested recognition software designed to spot Uyghurs. 2021 predictions from Avast hold that next year might be the year deepfakes come into their own. CISA issues a long list of industrial control system alerts. Joe Kerrigan looks at the iOS zero-click radio proximity vulnerability. Our guest is Matt Drake, Director of Cyber Intelligence at SAIC, on what the recent elections can tell us about threat intelligence. And yesterday was Patch Tuesday. Do you know where your vulnerabilities are? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. Security Week reports that Norway's PST, the country's domestic security and counterintelligence service, Yesterday stated that Fancy Bear, APT-28, a unit of Russia's GRU, was responsible for cyber espionage directed against the parliament in Oslo, the Storting, back in August. It was part of a campaign that may go back as far as 2017. The attacks weren't particularly exotic. Fancy Bear got access to Storting email accounts the old-fashioned way by brute-forcing them. Fancy Bear has been busy elsewhere, too. The security firm Intezer this morning reported that the GRU actor is using COVID-19 fish bait to distribute Zebrasi malware. FireEye disclosed late yesterday that its red-teaming tools had been accessed by a sophisticated attacker the company believes to have been a nation-state. Some of the tools stolen were open-source, others proprietary and held for in-house use. The company said no zero days or unknown techniques were taken. The New York Times says the attackers were almost certainly Russian. Unlike the intrusion into the Storting's email system, however, sources familiar with the matter told the Wall Street Journal that the intruders weren't the GRU, but in all probability were the SVR, Russia's foreign intelligence service and one of the Soviet KGB's direct offspring. Cozy Bear, APT-29, is the best-known SVR threat actor. Observers have shared several observations. 
First, FireEye is by no means a clueless or inept operation. This suggests that the attackers combined what the Johns Hopkins University's Thomas Ridd characterized to the Wall Street Journal as confidence and recklessness. Second, as CrowdStrike co-founder Dmitry Alperovich said, FireEye isn't the first serious cybersecurity company to be hacked. He tweeted, quote, With the FireEye breach news coming out, it's important to remember that no one is immune to this. Many security companies have been successfully compromised over the years, including Symantec, Trend, Kaspersky, RSA, and Bit9, end quote. It's safe to assume that FireEye won't be the last either. It's the biggest theft of cybersecurity tools, the New York Times points out, since the shadow brokers looted the Equation Group material from NSA in 2016. Why would Cozy Bear be interested in FireEye red-teaming tools? Of course, no one can be sure, but one possibility is simply embarrassment of a capable security company who's been called in to help in significant cyber espionage cases. Another possibility is simple reconnaissance. Or, perhaps, such tools might have some utility in deniable false flag operations. Wired sees the attack as a statement, either largely stymied or a relative no-show during the recent U.S. elections. Russia would like the Americans to realize that the bears are still there, at most snoozing, not hibernating. Maybe, but the timing isn't entirely clear either. FireEye had nothing to say in response to TechCrunch's question about when the attackers first gained access to its networks. In any case, FireEye says it sees no signs of any of the tools having been used, but that it's watching closely for any signs that the stolen material is being either employed or distributed to other threat actors. The company's quick disclosure is attracting good notices in Twitter. The FBI has the incident under investigation. Researchers at the security firm Cyber Reason this morning announced the discovery of a cyber espionage campaign that's using Facebook, Dropbox, Google Docs, and SimpleNote for command and control and the exfiltration of data from targets across the Middle East. There are signs in the campaign's tactics, techniques, and procedures that point to the Mole Rats, also known as the Gaza Gang, which Cyber Reason describes as an Arabic-speaking, politically motivated, advanced persistent threat. The Washington Post writes that Huawei tested software designed to recognize ethnic Uyghurs and set off Uyghur alerts for Chinese authorities interested in keeping track of the disfavored, predominantly Muslim group. The Post sources its story to IPVM, a firm that tests and investigates video surveillance equipment. IPVM says it obtained its information from internal Huawei material. Huawei said it was all just a test, and the video security startup it worked with, a company called Megvi, said that its technology was never intended to target any particular ethnic group. It's noteworthy that IPVM didn't get the information through hacking or any form of corporate espionage. The company found it posted openly on Huawei's European website. Huawei took the file down when IPVM asked them about it. It's a disturbing, albeit not unexpected, report. It's also an object lesson in how informative open-source intelligence can be. There's a great deal of agreement among security companies about what 2021 is likely to hold. Avast is among the firms who've just published predictions, and like most others, 
They see the COVID-19 pandemic as driving more attacks on home offices and filling cyberspace with more virus-themed chum. Vaccination scams should be especially prominent as effective vaccines enter distribution, and there will be no shortage of fraudulent medical offers. And since valuable data draw not only espionage but also various forms of denial of availability, pharmaceutical and medical organizations will continue to be targets of both criminals and nation-states. We've been warned against deep fakes for a long time, but Avast thinks they'll finally show up with significant effect in disinformation campaigns during 2021. The technology has advanced sufficiently to render them potentially effective. The other technical advance Avast expects to see in the coming year is with respect to automation. The firm is more circumspect than many others have been about AI proper, pointing out that there has yet to be evidence of AI-based threats circulating in the wild. But they do think that growing data sets and knowledge bases will enable some hybrid threats to emerge. And, of course, both adware and stalkerware will keep thriving. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has issued a large number of advisories concerning industrial control system vulnerabilities. As is usually the case with CISA advisories, they include links to and information about patches and mitigations. One of the advisories covers the Amnesia 33 vulnerabilities reported yesterday by Forescout. Another warning addresses a hard-coded credential issue in the proprietary software of some GE medical devices. Yesterday was, of course, Patch Tuesday, and Trend Micro emailed us to share an evaluation that called Microsoft's patching historically light, 58 patches in all, with 9 rated critical, 46 important, and 3 moderate. Adobe was similarly light, 4 patches affecting Adobe Prelude, Experience Manager, and Lightroom. So the year ends with more a whimper than a bang, as far as patching is concerned. Rebs on Security calls December's Patch Tuesday the Good Riddance 2020 edition. On the other hand, CISA really had a lot to say about ICS issues. So let's not get cocky, kids. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. 
Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Matt Drake is Director of Cyber Intelligence at SAIC and former Section Chief of the Cyber Division of the FBI. He joins us with insights on how the recently completed election can inform a cyber approach to threat intelligence as we head toward the new year. There weren't the the kind of incidents or the concerns, I shouldn't say concerns, but we didn't have some of the issues that we had in previous elections. And I think that's partially attributable to just the work that's gone in um, in the past few years, you know, at kind of all levels, whether it be, you know, the, the, the local municipalities are, you know, 8,000 ballpark, you know, voting districts out there with state officials, with federal officials, with county officials, the, the National Guard, all of those entities kind of working together over the past few years to harden those systems and have a better under, understanding of how everybody works together. And I think you're seeing the results of that in this election. And is it, is it fair to, uh, to say that it's probably more that than uh, restraint on the, on the part of our foreign adversaries? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to um, I don't have any insight into their thought process and what it is that they're going after. But, yeah, I mean, I I suspect that there wasn't maybe the same effort there was. But I suspect if there was, we were on top of it. It's always kind of hard to tell, you know, if they backed off or if they kind of put the same effort into it and we were just ready for them. Um, I really don't know. But um it does seem to be certainly, for whatever reason, a more successful election season from a cybersecurity perspective. Well, I mean, with the things that you experience when you were with the FBI back in 2016 and now observing what you have in this election cycle from the outside in 2020, what's your outlook? Are, are you optimistic going forward that, that you know, we're headed in the right direction, that we're getting, uh, we're getting things under control in a good way? Yeah, I, I'm optimistic that the cybersecurity piece of it is um, is working well. There's a part of me that thinks that you're back, looking back to 2016, you know, the intent of those intrusions wasn't necessarily though to get in and change votes. Uh, the intent of the intrusions, you know, may have very well been to just undermine the public's confidence in the election process. And you can turn into any channel you want these days and you see that playing out. I think so. There is I think that has become the greater concern. The cyber attacks in 2016 might have planted that seed and might still be, you know, doing their work today as, you know, the the country is divided almost 50 50 on, you know, who won the election almost. So we're still questioning how elections are held whether or not you know every uh, every vote is counted, whether or not every legal vote is counted, you know, depends on how you even say that. So mm-hmm. um, I do think the cybersecurity part has gotten better. We've hardened the systems, and I think we've done a better job of putting in processes that allow us to talk to all the 
you know, stakeholders in this and get information out quicker so people can react to it quicker. But I think yeah. from the cybersecurity perspective, I, I do think that we've gotten much stronger. That's Matt Drake from SAIC. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. A really interesting uh, story came out of uh, Google's Project Zero Mm -hmm. uh, recently. I wanted to touch base with you on this. This was a fascinating one to me. Can you just give us an explanation? What's going on here? Yeah, so Ian Beer, who is a researcher at Project Zero, found a buffer overflow attack in uh, some C++ code in the Apple operating system that allowed an attacker to run arbitrary code, but the vulnerability was accessible via radio. Uh, one of the radio services that the iPhone provides. So you didn't need to actually touch the phone to do this or even access it via a network. You could send a radio signal with a with a properly crafted payload that would reboot the phone and allow access and let people access all kinds of information on the phone. Yeah, it's uh, a remarkable demo that they have here in their write-up too. Right, they have a is, whole it, like a dozen or so phones and they just, they all reboot. Yep, every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, yep. this vulnerability has been patched because it is Ian's and Project Zero's policy to disclose these vulnerabilities responsibly. And they did a great job doing that. Uh, yeah. but I, I don't want to spend time talking about the technical details of this attack. I want to talk about the implications and some of the things that are that are interesting that Ian says. First, hmm. the he says... There's a great quote in this in this article, a couple of great quotes. I'm going to read directly from what he wrote here. The takeaway from this project should not be, no one will spend six months of their life just to hack my phone. I'm fine. Instead, it should be one person working alone in their bedroom was able to build a capability which would allow them to seriously compromise iPhone users they'd come in close contact with. Hmm. And Ian spent six months during this pandemic time. He was up in his room, in his bedroom, or uh, his lab just doing this at home and he found the vulnerability and and imagine if he didn't report this imagine the and one of the things he talks about in the article is imagine the power you feel if you just have this capability and you're just walking around with it well, and and these are these have high value as well. A, a vulnerability like this can be sold to the highest bidder. Yes, and there are companies out there that uh, that look for these things. And in fact, uh, while Ian says he didn't see any evidence of this being compromised in the wild, he did notice that there was a tweet from Mark Dowd, who's the co-founder of Asthma Security, which is a, an Australian company, that tweeted about the patching of one of the vulnerabilities he reported to Apple, and that tweet came out in May. 
So that was still while the vulnerabilities were undisclosed. So when you disclose a vulnerability, you say, we're going to, here's the vulnerabilities. I'm not telling anybody else about this. Uh, fix them. And Apple's Apple has a very good response to this. They go, yep, we'll fix these right away. This is a, a problem. And once they fixed it, Mark Dow tweeted, hey, they fixed a vulnerability. Now, hmm. there's a couple of things about this. One, whenever a, a patch for a vulnerability comes out, it's plainly visible to someone who has good reverse engineering skills what the vulnerability was in the operating mm. system because you have mm -hmm. to fix it. Uh, and you can reverse engineer the code, compare the difference between the old code and the new code and go, oh, they fixed this. Oh, they fixed that because that's a buffer overflow, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a Vice article from a couple of years ago that says that Azimuth Security is one of these companies that keeps these uh, zero days. In fact, there's another company called Zerodium, which is, which is in the past actually offered bounties up to a million dollars for these kind of things. Hmm. One of the things that Ian says in this article is that unpatched vulnerabilities aren't like physical territory. This is another quote. Unpatched vulnerabilities aren't like physical territory occupied only by one side. Everyone can exploit an unpatched vulnerability. And this hmm. is the crux of the entire keeping vulnerabilities secret issue. It doesn't make you more secure by keeping the vulnerability hidden from the manufacturer or the people responsible for the code, it makes everybody less secure. Chances are you're not the only person that found this vulnerability. There are people out there who have also found it. There are people out there who are looking for it. I guarantee you that. They're mm -hmm. always out there mm -hmm. looking for it. Uh, and when they find it, there are unethical people out there who are going to try to utilize it. They're not going to report it. So when you find it, if you're an ethical person, it's great for you to, the first thing you, you do to report it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, for sure, this is an interesting bit of research here uh, for Ian Beer. Uh, we reached out to him, uh, hoping to get him on Research Saturday to discuss the work here. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Haru Prakash, Stefan Baziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. 
Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 